parents, welcome to the Twiniversity Podcast, a show created exclusively for parents of twins. I'm your host, Natalie Diaz. I am a mom of twins. I am also the Twiniversity founder, and I am the best-selling author of the book, What to Do When You're Having Two. Our goal at Twiniversity is to make sure that you always feel connected, we laugh at the little things, and we really do get to teach you a few tricks along the way. And that is what we hope this podcast is about to do. So welcome to Twiniversity. Kids, I envy you. I so envy you because truth be told, your options have never been better with Dr. Brown's Options Plus Wide Neck Bottles. From nipple to base, it eases the transition from breast to bottle and back again. Each nipple is specifically engineered to offer the same consistent natural flow so that you and your twins know what to expect at every feeding. The new breast-like nipple shape is correctly contoured for a proper latch and a more natural bottle feeding experience. So together with the anti-colic internal vent system, your twins will feed with minimal fuss. And when your babies are no longer gassy, remove the venting system and continue to use the Options Plus bottle without the extra parts. Brilliant. It really is brilliant. You guys are so lucky. So for more information on the Dr. Brown's Options Plus bottle, visit drbrownsbaby.com. Could you hear that sound? Seriously? What? No. I can't. I don't think it's picking up on the microphone. Well, the pigeons, you heard that? No. The pigeons are making love again. I mean, I don't mean to be creepy. There's so many things about that statement that I just, okay, number one, the pigeons are making love. Yes. So you have- They're currently multiple, in the process. You have, you have several pigeons that are doing the nasty l- close to you. Number two, yes, again, to me. again. Yeah, you don't know that in the alleyway where like in my apartment building right behind me, you don't know this. I, to- I thought I talked about this plenty of times, but literally there's pigeon nests and there's certain times of the year where people, where apparently the pigeons start getting down, down to Chinatown. And there's ways that I know. And they're in the right I place because you live okay. in Chinatown. So. I do. So there's a few ways that I know. Number one, the sound. The sound of pigeons making love is very specific. I need you to give me your impression. Ooh, a it's kind of like that. There's a little, a little something. So it's like a guttural. It's like yes. a guttural. Yes. It's a very passionate coup, if you will. That's good. This is you're, quality content. You're getting there. Um. Okay. Listen, <laughs> but it's also the smell of um, vanilla candles and the, the Barry White oh, music. Oh, thank God. I thought you were going to say play. the smell of, of pigeons. No, it's on. the candles that they light for romance. They have the, all these tea lights that they set up around their nest, which I think is a fire hazard, but they seem to think it helps them uh, procreate. So yeah, and now the worst part is, and for those of you pigeon lovers out there, please get your stamps ready for the hate mail campaign. <laughs> I like to um, think of as Bert from Sesame Street. Oh my God. Well, now <laughs> the, the making love is going to mean that I'm going to have babies soon. Oh, so now no. I'm going to have baby pigeons that are then going to be the yelling. <laughs> Doing the pigeon. Do you know, remember that song from of Sesame Street? I remember that song. Oh, I was much more um, 
What were those little things that lived, Ernie took care of the most, they lived in like the doodle bugs. Yeah. That's it. I was more a doodle bug person than the pigeon with the bird. Anyway. We had this DVD where where that was one of the clips and we watched it a lot. Doing the pigeon? Yeah. Doing the pigeon. It was on like a, like a, one of those, what was it? I think it was the, the Sesame street one where there was, it was like a bunch of like all of their musical clips from over the years and big bird was involved. Well, Perfect that story. has a very different meaning. I'm going to find house. it. I'm going to find it. And I'm going to tell you guys, cause it's actually awesome. Jewel. Doing the pigeon has a very different meaning. <laughs> kids, this is a uh, kid's content. Anyway, listen, if you have to discuss with your people, I've had to discuss pigeons making love way before I needed to with the twins, because sometimes it would be directly on my windowsill right through the glass. And you just, oh it's a conversation that I, I sometimes would try to cover them with the blinds, but um, I wasn't always that fast sometimes. And sometimes the kids would just watch them. Um, so it's yeah. not telling them about the birds and the bees. It's, it's well, the it's the birds. So the, the pigeons yes. and the bees. It is. It's the pigeons. That's the bees we don't hilarious. really see as much. So it's a little too microscopic for us. We can't, but the pigeons, pretty oh clear. God, what's the name of the stupid? I'm, it's driving the me pigeons. crazy. No, I okay. gotta find. We'll put them. it in the show notes. Just we'll put, put it, in, it the in the show notes. That's you guys. it. Okay, listen. Th- we have a show coming up because oh, that's we do right. today. Today you're gonna meet Rachel. So I just finished our podcast with uh, with Rachel, and it was really interesting. So she's living in Thailand right now. Her boys were born in Korea. She's been all over the place. So they were born on a military base in Korea. And ultimately, it's it's just really great. And so our conversation really went for, forget about why you live someplace or whatever, but the conversation went that income disparity is greater in other countries, but it's much more, um, sometimes it's greater in other countries. You know, like here in the US, sometimes they say, oh, he's from the other side of the tracks, right? Or you say like things like that. But sometimes when you, it gets very uh, muddled. And so somebody that is extremely of high importance and power could be next to somebody selling bananas, as you'll hear us talk about. And it's, um, it's just what it is. And so I was, you know, the conversation got to, how do you talk to your kids about that? You know, how do you talk to your kids about how people are, um, you know, just like the income stuff. That was interesting. But Jewel, my most fascinating piece of the thing of our whole conversation was about how twins are perceived perceived in Asia. Hmm. So she was talking about when she came back home and people were like, oh my gosh, double trouble, better you than me. Like literally all the quotes, she, she quoted it, everything that we hear all the time, but how in Asian cultures, twins are so lucky. And so oh, instead yeah. of people saying double trouble, they would say, oh, so lucky, you know? So Aww. I thought that was really, really great. Aww, it was- That's what I'm going to say from now on. Yes. So lucky. Hi, Alex. I'm going to say that okay. too. My, as, sorry, my son is- As joking. one of your twins um, pretend chokes you when it's his- Hi, I'm recording. I'm okay. We're okay with it. Uh, P.S. What's the name of that song is the name of the DVD. What's the name of that song? <laughs> of course. That's Jewel, I'm not you guys a gotta rookie. check that out. I'm not a rookie. I'm gonna put this. a link to it in the show notes so you guys can find it on Amazon and order. I was a PBS ambassador for 10 seconds. Really? I really was. And in the beginning of Twiniversity, PBS reached out to me when the twins were little. Oh. And they're like, Would you be a PBS ambassador? I was like, heck yeah. Uh-huh. So I got to go on this adventure that was very Berenstain Bearsies or Berenstein Bears or whatever the saying is. I, I call don't even it know. Stain. 
There's a yeah, whole conspiracy. Dude, I can't. I've been. I've gone down that rabbit hole. Because <laughs> I also was like, wait a minute. It's spelled stain. S T A I N. That's how it always know, was spelled always growing said up. Berenstein. I've always said Berenstain. But that's have just you I, always? Yeah, the Berenstain Bears. Well, they had really specials, and they, that's what they would say on the show. Yeah. I I'm telling you, my world is shifting. <laughs> I feel like I'm in the Matrix right now. I really always thought it was the Berenstein Bears. I don't know why. And then, of course, you know, when I became literate, uh, then I discovered that that's not how you would spell that. But I'm still telling you, there's still something weird about that. I know. It is. Oh, it's true. Yeah, absolutely. I don't get it. So we're, we're going to also, that's another thing that we talk about is like what parts of American culture do you bring in to the house? Like, do the kids watch Disney movies and whatever? And it was, it was interesting. Let me tell you, there's a lot of food chatter involved mm. in this conversation. That's my, so, that's my kind of convo. Are you ready to meet Rachel? Because I'm yes. waiting for you to meet her. Okay. Yay. All right, guys, here she comes meeting our good friend, Rachel over in Thailand, doing this conversation with me or taping this conversation with me while the pigeons are doing things outside. Uh, at in you know night for her 12 hour difference which was so kooky but it was great so yeah. she was just going to sleep and I'm like I'm just starting my day <laughs> so without further ado guys here is Rachel good evening Rachel or good morning for oh. me depending good evening here <laughs> on on where you are Rachel you're getting to have the best food in to pl on the planet, in my opinion. Yeah, that's true. <sighs> Give me some pad. Do they have pad thai? Like, do they eat pad thai? Like, we eat pad thai here in Thailand. They make it here. It's um, kind of a touristy food, but it was. Okay. I don't know. My husband's done all the research. Apparently, it was created to be like a national dish to help support tourism. So usually, hmm. it's just foreigners who get it but okay um like our house helper she makes it for us sometimes and it's really good and um yeah what about a masa mom curry can i have that there as well yes oh, yeah any of the yes. curries you can get pretty easily okay well, guys, if you like if you are not a fan of thai food then you have no idea <laughs> Where Rachel is. Rachel is raising her 20s in Thailand right now. Born, They were born in Korea. Her and her husband are Americans and they're working right now all over the place. And right now they seem to have put their little push pin on the map in Thailand. So Rachel, could we begin please about let's give birth in, in Korea. I have to understand this experience so did you find out you were pregnant with twins when you were overseas already or were you in the U.S. like what was the 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 timeline to yeah. the time that you gave birth so we we got married in 2015 in April and then in August of 2015 three months later we moved to Korea with the army um, and we we knew when we were engaged that that's where we'd be going and originally we had thought oh maybe we'll come back you know, pregnant or something. I don't know. We're not in a rush to have kids, but we want kids. And then a few months in, we were like, oh, I think I could see having kids here, having a baby here. Um, and so we got pregnant and we found out it was twins. And we were like, all right, we're having two babies here. Mm -hmm. And so we had been in Korea about a year. Okay. Um, yeah, it was just about a year when we had the twins. Um, thankfully, because we were in the army, we were able to have them on the army base in the Good. small hospital there. Okay. So that our goal was 36 weeks. 
And they said, if you get to 36 weeks, you mm -hmm. can have the babies here. Um, Cause they didn't have a NICU. And they said, if you do it before, yeah. as you know, 36, you're probably gonna need the NICU. And the technical care in Korea is very good. So we would have been safe. You know, yes. we would have been fine. It's not, you know, a poor country by any means. And the hospitals are amazing, but the NICUs, they don't let you, or at least at the time we were told they don't let you see the babies more than like one or two hours a day. Wow. And that was scary to me, you know, okay. I mean, everything's scary being a first time mom and a twin mom, but um, yeah, we held him in until 36 weeks. And then by 36 weeks, five days, I was like, get out, get out, get out. And they came. So, <laughs> um, yeah, mm. it, thankfully they came spontaneously and it was a healthy, um, simple birth. Yeah. It was a long labor, a lot of pushing, but they came. So unbelievable okay so you had a vaginal delivery on the army mm -hmm. base in korea wonderful a lot yeah. of american creature comforts were yeah. probably there which is good which is always one of the biggest issues when having babies overseas um right we've even had some twin anniversary families who delivered spontaneously trying to take a baby moon overseas and then yeah uh, not always the best idea no. but you know hey we can't we can't all be us delivering on army bases. So, so that's fantastic. Okay. So now you're living in Korea. How was your apartment? Because typically overseas, they don't have 4,500 square foot, you mm -hmm. know, McMansions. So how, what were you living on the base in military housing or were you living off the base? At the time? Yeah, we lived in military housing. Okay. So when we, when we moved there, they put us in a second floor apartment and it was it had stairs so it was like you go up the stairs to the front door and then you go okay. up the stairs again inside and once we started reading about twins and how likely I was to have a c-section we're like this is not going to work with uh, two babies I'd have to leave a baby in the car or uh, carry two at once yes. which you're not supposed to do so we begged and pleaded and finally got them to move us um okay. we stayed in the same neighborhood but we got a first floor apartment which was good, good. uh but yeah so it was nice having the army housing because it felt like America and it was yes. comfortable but it was also hard because we didn't have a lot of friends in the army yeah. um, but we had a really good church support and so okay, all of the people that would be bringing us food and things were from church good. but they couldn't get on the base uh, so it was like okay. well That's here tough. have a gift card you know because we can't actually come and help you right now yeah uh, so that was hard but all right so you have your babies, you go home, you have your ideal setup or as close to ideal as you could possibly get. While raising your kids there, how often did you kind of leave the base? Like how much exposure to Korea did the babies have? Well, we often regretted not getting out more. I will say that Korea it's different now because they've moved closed and moved that army base, but it, they always told us it's what you make of it. You can mm -hmm. stay on the base your yeah. entire life and never see Korea, or you can go out and see it as much as you want. Yeah. And so with the newborns, they were born in August. So it was okay. like pretty hot. Um, and my goal was just get out of the house once a day. Yeah. And if that just means taking them on a stroll in the neighborhood, that was all we did. If that meant going on the subway, you know, and doing a big adventure, that's what we did. Um, yeah. So I tried to get them out as they okay. got older, it got easier. Once they hit, I think it was five, five and a half months when I could back yes. carry one and do yeah. the twin go thing. Then it got a lot easier because you can't really do a stroller on the subways in Korea. It's just, they don't have the, it's, it's a lot uh, ADA or yes. whatever. <laughs> regulations. It's a lot taking yeah. twins on the subway in Anywhere. New York city. So yeah, yeah it's, exactly. It's, 
it's really the subway in general isn't the most exactly. ideal form of transportation for your <laughs> yeah. multiples so but once you can baby wear them it's just like oh yes. yeah we'll just go you, you pop know. anywhere yeah it definitely yeah. it's it's a new world i think that there's wonderful you know trans transitions of parenthood and i think that's a big one is when you could mm -hmm. wear everybody at once and then you have that liberation except yeah. when they're too heavy at that time and you miss the window of when it was oh, really yeah. nice so they're a little too yeah. heavy now and you waited too long <laughs> now you had all your family was back home right how did like how did your family deal with that that you were delivering overseas did family members come to help you were they allowed to come mm. and help you how are they? Ex how are the babies exposed to your family, or vice versa? Because I mean, that's exciting, especially since they're your first babies, and right. you know the family goes super crazy. What were some of the things that you did to kind of bridge that gap between the ocean? Mm. Yeah, thankfully travel was easy back then. It's very different from now. But um, my let's see, my mother-in-law and her sister came I think when the babies were about six weeks old okay and then um and they stayed for about a week which okay. was nice and then my parents came when they were nine eight or nine weeks old I think okay. um so those were good times because when they were first born I I enjoyed having the space to just like yes be a mom yeah. you know and just cry and change diapers and survive and figure out what it looks like I don't I don't know how people do it when there's you know, a ton of people in the house yeah. wanting to see the baby and everything. And that protected us from even having to navigate that and having to say like, oh no, I need this time alone with my husband and my children, you know, or um, say, please, you know, stay away. So we yeah. didn't have to navigate a lot of that. But, um, and then my sister-in-law came too, I think when they were maybe three or four months. So it was nice. We staggered the visits Good. so that we could have the relief and then a couple of weeks to, you know, practice being a family by ourselves again, and then get a little break and get a lecture sleep and then another break. So um, yeah, that was helpful. And we did a lot of Skype, even when the babies were, you know, too little to really yeah. see what was going on. It was still good for the grandparents and the other family members to start connecting with them and yeah. got to know their voices and things. And when we moved back, um, to, we moved to Georgia next and the boys, I think they were 11 months at the time and they wow. knew they knew their grandma and grandpa and they knew their baby and pop pop. And so it was like, oh, they had Skyped enough to get that as much as a, you know, one-year-old can. Um, so that helped a lot. So you stayed in Georgia for how long before you were on the move again? I guess that was two, two and a half years or so. We got to Georgia in August of 2017 and then we left in December of 2019 okay so that was a little over two years yeah and then you went directly to Thailand we did a little bit of living on the road first okay. we went um up to New Jersey to spend about a month <clears throat> excuse me with my husband's family and then we went back down to North Carolina we did a month-long training there and okay. then finished training at noon on Friday and got on a plane at five on Friday. So wow. that was a little tight, but, um, that was yeah, a little we tight? did it. Is that what, is that yeah. the terminology that you're using? Yeah, that's what we call it. <laughs> okay. All right. So yeah, that puts it in perspective of your tolerance of a uh, change. You're like, ah, 
that's what had happened. But we got here before COVID and that's what matters. That, that, we, that is what matters. It really is. Cause I can't even imagine, you know, traveling in the midst of it, but if you got to mm-hmm. do what you got to do, right? So we, you figure out ways to, to kind of make that work. So now you're yeah. in Thailand, you've been there for almost a year coming up on a year. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a pivotal time in the, the kid's life because they're, they're four and a half now they've had enough exposure to Thailand for the past few months. What's happening with school? Mm. That's been, um, it was tricky when we first got here because we finished our two-week orientation and they went to one day of preschool okay. and then school shut down. And um, Thailand actually had the first COVID case outside of China mm-hmm. back in you know the beginning of last year. Yeah. But they the contact tracing is very good here. It's you know, to a level that Americans would not tolerate in America, yeah. you, you kind of scan them when you go to any store or restaurant or whatever, and they know where you go. And then um, the pollution is also very high from like February to May here. Okay. It's sometimes the highest in the world just because of the burning. And so we were wearing masks already, it, even when it was like hmm. not in yes. vogue to wear masks. And they were like, oh, no, don't wear them because the doctors need them and things. Well, we all already had our masks because they were the M95 ones for the um, the pollution yeah. and the PM 2.5 particles and all that stuff. So I honestly think that that was a big blessing and that was part of why it didn't hit so bad here. So we had school shut down and things like that shut down probably March, April, and May. Mm-hmm. And then mid-June or so, they started to open things and they started to loosen restrictions. Mm-hmm. And I think my boys started a different preschool maybe in July. It was June or July. And so they've been going basically consistently since then we had almost no COVID um, probably around June they basically beat it in a sense that every day you would check the numbers and it would be like five new cases 10 new cases but they would all be straight in quarantine they'd come in on a plane and so it wasn't spreading and then in December around Christmas all of a sudden a couple of cases snuck in from over the border and now it's it had been around 3,000 cases for most of the year and now yeah. it's over 10,000 so we're having our second wave and it's a little scary um just because you know the Thai people are mostly pretty poor and the you know it just the it's a crowded country and it's yeah. very hard to prevent the spread and it, it got into some kind of market south of Bangkok and so mm-hmm. it really exploded after that but up here it hasn't been too bad um my boys school is very small so they've been able to stay open and the bigger schools a lot of them have been choosing to close and then some of them are starting to reopen now because they're seeing that it's not exploding here so um we'll just we're we're taking it day by day and we're hoping and praying that it just you know stays open i i really do hope so but you you said something that's very enlightening and i i think that as an american you have the eyes that most of our listeners are seeing through but you know, being literally there and raising children, how do you, how, what's the discussion that you have with the twins about like income disparity, right? Because mm. in Thailand, it's, it's here in America, when you have lower, you know, lower income families or whatever, mm. they, they typically are, you know, popped into a specific region, 
right? So it's mm-hmm. very like other side of the tracks in America. Right. It's not it's not really as mixed as yeah. a lot of places in the world are. But because we have a significant amount of, of land that we could mm-hmm. spread out over, it's not often seen as much. But yeah. I would imagine that in Thailand, it's right there in your face with the upper levels and the lower levels of mm-hmm. society income-wise how do you explain to the boys like, oh, that's why this person has this and why this person mm-hmm. has this? And has that even been a discussion in at your dining room table? Yeah, it hasn't come as mu- up as much as I was kind of worried it would. Um, just because as a mom, I'm like, I don't know how much I can handle at once. Yeah. Um, and, ha- you know, I'm always scared of teaching them the wrong way. Um, Thailand is not as poor as the countries around it. I will say mm-hmm. there are definitely poor people and the pandemic has really hit it hard because tourism is huge here. It's like a quarter of the economy or something. And wow. so having no tourists come then um, is pretty bad, but they're opening up more to China because China COVID's not so bad there. And that's yeah. the majority of the tourists here anyway. So that's helping, but um, you don't, you don't see poverty here as much as you see it some places I've lived. Okay. And so it's like, you don't see people begging on the street. You see people on the street selling things, street vendors and things. But I think to them, they just see that as, oh, that's the man who sells bananas. You know, we, yes. we have our one guy that we always buy bananas from, but I don't think they look at him and think of him as he's poor. So he sells bananas. They say, oh, he's a banana farmer and he sells bananas. That's mm-hmm. his job. And so-and-so's job is to do this. And so-and-so's job is to do this. And so they, I think part of it's that they're young. So they haven't gotten this concept of some jobs being better than others, which I think is a very American thing to think that, you know, the lawyer is better than the farmer or something. And it's like, well, no, the lawyer, you don't need to stay alive, but the farmer you do. And um, so we're still working on how to show them how all that works. They have had some opportunities to go out um, and just sort of do service projects. Like back in December, they got to do a Christmas party caroling thing at this, uh, some kind of rehab hospital. I didn't go, my husband took them, but that was neat because they were able to say like, oh yeah, you know, these, these people, they were pretty old and they had this disease because most of them were um, leprosy survivors. And they're like, yeah, they had this disease, you know, leprosy. We've read about that in the Bible. It's, you know, it was really sad and the doctors have helped them and we wanted to just go show them love. And like, it's all just very innocent and basic. And it's just so refreshing. Yeah to see how they see it as just like, oh, something bad happened to this person and I want to love them and take care of them through it. And there's no concept of, you know, they're poor because they made a bad decision. That's such an American way of thinking. I don't know if that makes sense. It really is. I mean, if you go to any other place in the world, well, well, I guess it really, really depends on where you're going. My, Mm -hmm. most of my um, experience actually is, is in Africa. So I've been to Mm. Africa and I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I've been to Africa nine times and Mm, it's, it's weird. Like I'm not, I don't seem like somebody who would go to Africa (laughs) a lot, but I did, but I worked for a company that Mm -hmm. had offices in Africa and I worked, it was an African travel company. And I kind of landed into this job when I was in college and I took every opportunity I got. So it was pre-kids and it was a wonderful way to pass the time during my infertility because I ended up conceiving my twins through IVF. So it was Mm -hmm. good to pass the time, but I remember going over there and seeing families that Americans would be wide-eyed and appalled of how they live. And I saw teachers teaching with a stick in the sand. And the kids that were being taught to 
literally didn't care. It yeah. was it was totally normal to them. And it was interesting because with our eyes, we see like, oh my gosh, you know, they don't even have a chalkboard. And what are you going to do? And I remember going over there and I said, well, is there anything that we could bring? And they said, yeah, just bring pencils, you know? And they said, if you bring a pen, please, people will go crazy, but the ink will dry mm -hmm. out. So, you know, it was, wow. it was so funny. They're like, bring lighters because people love to just make a quick fire. You got to love that. Like you can't yeah. beat that. And they said pencils would be great. And I, I remember like giving them, we brought over like markers and stuff. And we had this, we started this foundation with a company called the Bring a Book Foundation. So we would take what, if you went there and all these like pinkies up, you know, American mm -hmm. families that want to do good for 10 minutes. And I know that some people get aggravated at that because they're like, you're going to do good for 10 minutes. Dude, the people over there will take 10 minutes. Just get like, mm -hmm. whatever, whatever you're going to do. And it's, it's very eye-opening and I think that the sense of community that I got mm -hmm. from a lot of the African cultures in large part as crazy as the sound led me to Twiniversity oh yeah because we are a community and although you know people aren't bringing us pencils there's still that that sense of unity within right. our own multiple birth community Right. So now I do know that there are actually multiple birth networks throughout the world Mm -hmm. Is there anything like that in Thailand? Like, have you found other twin parents over there? I have found some. We have a Facebook group that's like expat moms for our city. And I started to catch on that there's nothing for moms of multiples. So I actually started a Facebook group that's moms of multiples in Chiang Mai. And um, it's not very active yet, mostly because we started during COVID. And mm -hmm. it's, you know, a little more touch and go about hanging out with people or whatever. But it's it's probably about... 10 or so families so far in there. And somehow my husband's work, we have three sets of identical twin boys wow. at his job. I don't know wow. how that happened. It's just a coincidence. But um, yeah, and it's it's been difficult to find opportunities to hang out with them just because yeah. all the twin moms are so busy that it's yeah. like, when do we actually find time to do things? Now that my boys are in school five days a week too, it's like my two-year-old is the one that I'm taking on play dates, not the twins. Yeah. But um. Yeah, I totally get what you're saying, too, about community. I feel like one of the things that drew us to Thailand was that when we were in Korea, we visited Chiang Mai and we visited, mm -hmm. uh, we also visited Bangkok and we visited Vietnam and we visited Malaysia. We did all these trips with the twins. And I just remember it was so refreshing because on the base, when I'm surrounded by Americans, you'd always get the really awful, obnoxious, like, oh, better you than me and double trouble and all those comments that just drive us crazy. Mm -hmm. And then um, you would come here or any of these Asian countries or even going out into Korea and people would be like, oh, very lucky, two boys. Yes. Oh, you have twins. And they just loved them. And they thought they were a blessing and not a curse. And it was like, this yeah. is the world I want to live in where children are a good thing and they're not this burden that you're stuck with, you know? And um, I don't know, especially here in Thailand, I just remember I'd have them in the baby carrier and the, everyone would be oogling over one baby. Mm. And then they'd notice that there was one on my back and they'd just be like, oh, another one. And they would always say, same, 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 because that's what you say about twins here. <laughs> but um, yeah, and now having them here and having them like learn Thai and start mm. doing the why to people and practice their Thai with people, they just love it. And um, yeah, it's just having people think twins are a good thing and want want to see your kids and want your kids to be a part of the community yeah. and they don't like they don't 
do babysitting for date nights. You just take the kids with you. The whole family yeah. goes out. It's just normal. It's not frowned upon to have your kid at a restaurant. If your kid is crying at the restaurant, they just like offer to help. They don't yeah. yep. judge you and roll your eyes. It's just so different. Um, it it's was great. really hard going back to the States and having that reverse culture shock of like, I can't even imagine. I don't well, people listen, like my kids. When, when you come back to the States, come here. I live in Chinatown. <laughs> So uh, I get to experience this side of the ocean yes. <laughs> version of that. And it, it is so enlightening and it's so wonderful. And there's so many times that like people say, how could you live by Chinatown? You know, it's so crowded and it's so dirty. Truthfully, it is. It's definitely uh, dirtier than if you go to the Upper East Side of Manhattan. No doubt about mm-hmm. that. But whatever, who cares? It's, you know, I'm not eating off the floor. My kids aren't rolling, right. you know, in on the sidewalk. But it, I remember when my twins were getting physical therapy and we would go to the park in Chinatown to kind of practice mm-hmm. their, their core of their strength. And all like the elderly Asian community would come over to us and say once again that it's so lucky and I have mm-hmm. a boy and a girl and it's the dragon and the phoenix and this is, you know, <laughs> so fantastic. And I remember one time we were doing physical therapy with my daughter and my physical therapist was Asian and there was this little old man who came by and he had a, a walker, but like a walker with a seat. And so he was saying to the physical therapist, like, let me take the kids, like, give me the kids. And I was like, what, what, what's happening here? We're just giving him the kids. And he's like, yeah, just give him the kids. Like, where is he going to go? And I'm like, I don't know if I want this guy to just take the kids. And he's like, no, give him the kids. It's fine. Like, don't worry about it. So we gave him the kids against everything that I had ever initially felt. And the old man put the twins on the seat of the walker. And just did a loop around the park. And the twins were like boisterous and gleeful. And the old man was laughing and the twins were hysterical. (laughs) And I was like, what's happening? What's happening? Because like every instinct as an American is saying, no, don't put your kids in a stranger. You know, like what's happening? But within the Asian community, it's very like, yeah, we're here to help you, just you too. Like, people. come on, it's it's, yeah. it's wonderful, and I'm really, really thrilled that the the kids are getting to experience that, and that you guys are mm-hmm. getting to experience that as a family. Because the typical American, unless you're either on the West Coast or the East Coast, where we have thriving Asian populations really mixed in with you know typical Italian American chicks like me, like this is just <laughs> what happens. It is fascinating and I'm thrilled for you. However, you know, there's going to be some culture shock when they get home. Oh yeah. Have you thought about how you're going to handle when, or if this period of time is ever going to be over in your life? I mean, honestly, the soil over here on this side ain't looking too purdy lately. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know, I know while you might not be motivated to get back because of everything that's happening in the United States between the, you know, the politics and, you know, this freaking virus, but your family is here. Mm -hmm. So uh, have you thought about kind of what your end game was and when you might transition back to the U.S.? Well, I, I hope and think and pray that we are here for the long term. We, I mean, we've been married five and a half years now, I guess. And we've moved, oh, probably about 10 times, nine or 10 times, Mm -hmm. um, just between like different houses in the same city or overseas moves. And it's just, it's exhausting. And two of those moves were pregnant about 
seven, eight months pregnant, you know, and it's just, I'm done. I don't want to do it anymore. I want to have roots and I want my kids to have roots. And this is a place where I can see myself, you know, raising them. There's good schools here. There's um, the private school that there's a private school that offers a big discount to people from our organization. So we know that our kids can go there. And so they'll have sort of an American bubble there, which I'm not thrilled about, but I do think that will help them with the connection to America to help them with that culture shock when they come back. Um, And we do, I think we're still working through all this because we're new here, but I think we're going to try to just do summers like every other year, go home for maybe three months to see family Um, because we're, we're support raised. So we also have, churches and partners and things Mm -hmm. like that that we need to visit um when we go home so and it's also just a lot easier than it would have been even 10 years ago not to mention 20 or 30 because we can facetime we can skype we marco polo my goodness that's kept us alive through the pandemic my mother and my mother-in-law both they just they'll pull open a book and they read to my kids and then during the you know quarantine the worst of it i would just like be exhausted it would be 2 p.m and I would just pull out the phone and be like just let Babby read you a book and I would put it out and I would fall asleep in that two minutes listening to my mother-in-law read because it was just a respite and it's like she's here she's watching them in a sense she's taking care of them and so having that connection through technology does make a big difference Mm -hmm. um but there's still a lot we have to learn about it and thankfully we have a good support group here there's a lot of re-entry seminars they can do and things like that my husband works for a counseling center so he has the resources and the partners there to help figure out how that works but um yeah I think it will be hard I think America is also just changing so rapidly that I can't even imagine you know we might come home in 2022 for a couple months and it's like I don't even know what America is going to look like yeah no one does no one does but it'll be standing we'll be here I'll still be uh in Chinatown that's not (laughs) no doubt about that you know people will still be having twins (laughs) uh, it's it's inevitable and actually it seems not that there was a lull in multiple births in the United States but I have a really big hunch that once kind of this vaccine kicks in for those who opt Mm -hmm. to to take it that um, I think there's going to be a pretty significant birth boom. And mm. I, my suspicion, and here I'm not nostradamus it, but maybe I am a little bit. I have a hunch that because we just kind of went through this, people who were even, you know, thought that they didn't want to have kids may have mm. adjusted their thoughts on what their life was because of yeah. this. Because this pause that was pressed on the world really does make you reevaluate kind of what's important to you. And some mm-hmm. families I think are going to be like, oh my God, we should have had kids. And if the longer yeah. you wait, the higher your odds of twinning kind of are. So I yeah. have a feeling that your, your multiple birth group in Thailand is going to get a little bit bigger right after yeah. this, right after this pandemic. Now yeah. talking about the moving 10 times, that gives me so much anxiety. I want to like literally do like two shots just to calm myself down mm-hmm. from that because I actually have never moved. I am in the same building that I was basically my truthfully that my mother was born in. So we have, we have never left. Our roots are super deep. And while Mm -hmm. you were like, I want to set down roots. I feel Mm -hmm. the sense of obligation to not move because my roots are so deep. Although I would love to, there's pieces of me that are just ready to, to go, but you know, this is kind of my legacy, I suppose, is not only, you know, Twiniversity I'm creating as my legacy, but my legacy really is where I live and kind of mm-hmm. the established community that's here based around our stupid Italian American. It's not stupid. Don't be mad at me, guys. I'm with you. Whatever. 
everybody's going to get mad at me for everything I say now. So that's always fun. But you were moving 10 times, you know, in a matter of 20 minutes. Um, when you are moving, do you have, it's not the system of which you move, but I would imagine that you have a very different sense of importance of items. Ugh. Right. So yeah. you're like, okay, do I really need to keep this card that was, mm -hmm. you know, from my first date or, you know, how many frying pans do I need? Like when you're yeah. sitting there and you're weighing that out now with that kind of theory, with your twin mom hat on, what were the necessities to you when the babies were born? Because mm -hmm. do you like, you know, space wise too, in Thailand and Korea, places are smaller they're not yeah. like here. So what were the must haves if you were, whether you were an expat, not living in America, living in, you know, a, a double wide, sometimes space mm -hmm. is really, look, I have 650 square feet. I say it all the time. People are always shocked. That's how big my apartment is living with less. What yeah. are your top three items that a parent of twins should have, you know, Oof. regardless of space? I mean, it depends on the age. When they were babies, it's just the baby containing devices. I don't mm -hmm. know a better term for it. Um, baby containing devices, bouncers, jumpers, whatever, depending on the age. At the time, it was rock and plays, but obviously those are <laughs> recalled now. But mm -hmm. um, just having somewhere you can safely put your baby for that age was huge. I think um, in Korea, it was just, we would have the it, it wasn't the boppy it was the boppy rock or the boppy lounger i think mm -hmm. is what it's called yes. it's the one where it's a circle but it yep. doesn't have the full cutout so when they were newborns it was just plop them on that because you got to have somewhere to plop them yeah when you deal with the other one you know and then when they were a bit bigger have like a bouncer or later a jumper so that they can just have somewhere to just be so you can pee mm -hmm. or you can answer the door or yeah. just feed the other one or make the formula or whatever um now that they're older, oh boy, I don't know. It's more the connection items. You know, I mean, they're not older, they're four, but the loveys, you know, that they've had since they were little, having something consistent like that, yeah. that they, they say this is home. Um, one thing that helped us a lot was the pea pods. I don't know how familiar you are with those by Kidco, but yes. they're the little pop-up tents. Yep. And we hate pack and place. Personally, I just hate them. I hate the assembly and disassembly process. I always mm -hmm. like pinch myself or, and my husband, I never hear him swear, but when he is assembling those, he comes very close and he just, we both don't like them. And the pea pods, you just sort of pop it open and yeah. then you pop it closed. And they, I felt like they gave a lot of consistency where we could just pop it open in the airport, find a kind of noisy spot and just mm -hmm. put the kid in it. And to them, this is my bedroom. This is the same tent I slept in, in this country, in this country, in this country. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's home and it smells the same. Yes. Whether that's <laughs> whatever that's really smell genius. that is, that's their smell. Yeah. yeah. So we love those and you throw them in the suitcase and because we did a lot of trips with them when they were babies yeah. um, and when they were toddlers too. And especially in new rooms and you don't know what the lighting's going to be like you can just throw a blanket on top things like that um so yeah the pea pods were a big one the twin go to just having the baby carrier that's like i don't care where i am i'm safe i'm with mom this is yeah. this is my spot i can tell my brothers on the other side you know um security things like that i think something consistent when so, we moved here someone told us sorry they told us you need to pick what grounds you they said you can replace like don't bring electronics because you'd have to convert them anyways you can buy a crock pot here you can buy frying pans here but if you have that 
frying pan that's from your grandmother and that feels like home to you, bring it. For me, I didn't have any kitchen things that were like that, but there were other items like, you know, a t-shirt quilt we had made and my husband has a TARDIS that he really likes. That's like just a piece of plastic, but for him, it's <laughs> yes. like that's been in every apartment we've lived in and it's, it's home. So we took it and um, yeah, I don't know the things that ground you. I felt like that was the most yeah. helpful advice we got was what, what's going to make, you know, you're at home wherever you are. That is so smart. It's really tough for people that, you know, we're kind of busting at the seams for them to weed out. And, you know, there's mm-hmm. the Marie Kondo effect where, you know, keep what brings you joy. And then, oh, yeah. you know, people will say everything brings me joy and I need <laughs> this pen because this pen was whatever it gets yeah. to, it gets to be a lot, but when you're really, you know, up against a wall and you have to make these choices, it's, it's important. Mm-hmm. The baby containers I think are fantastic. I do want to say though, for those of you that are listening with the Peapod in like specifically, well, it's, it's great. And I'm glad that you loved it. Just please, if you are listening and you're thinking about buying it, just follow the instructions that, you know, are the, the age instructions, because we've Mm -hmm. unfortunately had a little trouble with that for people that were using it a little too early. So yeah, I'm a little cautious about that, but yeah, Yeah. I think that that is absolutely fantastic. And just going back to about the Marco Polo, for those of you mm-hmm. listening to, it's just a communication platform. So instead of sending text to each other, you send videos to each other and it's, mm-hmm. it's instantaneous. So, you know, I, I love Marco Polo. I do too. And there's very few people actually that I Marco Polo with, but it's fun because you could have a real time discussion, you know, mm-hmm. just by video, video, and maybe, you know, 20 minutes goes by and I could answer their questions. So mm-hmm. it's nice. And I also think like, you know, while the, your kids can't read, Right. So it's, it's wonderful to be able to have a visual of, you know, mm-hmm. grandma and grandpa and uncles and cousins and stuff like that. That's, that's a genius way to, you know, bring your family into your house. I, I'm, I'm always fascinated by people who have the courage to do the things that you do, which is get up and go. I don't have that bravery. I will tell you, there's a lot of things that I do have, but I have never yet had the bravery to just move everything. I could go away for four weeks. I could go away for two months. That doesn't matter to me. But for some reason, this whole, like, you know, bring what grounds you, what grounds mm-hmm. me is this building. <laughs> this I don't know exactly how I'm going to move that from one place to another, but it's something that I've been trying to teach my children from a very young age. Like, do you really need this? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not a big fan of going into somebody's room and just cleaning what I don't think they need. Mm -hmm. I've always kind of involved them because how do I really know? Like, what if this means more to you than anything? And there's things that I almost have tossed that could have, would have been really bad for me. So it's really great to teach your kids from an early age. And I think they're going to learn that regardless because of, you know, your, your lifestyle that you do have to teach your kids from the very early time. Like, do you really need that? You know, like Mm -hmm. how many, not saying that you can't have 800 matchbox cars, but you know, maybe let's narrow it down to 10. Yeah. So, you know, and do your kids, do you get to watch like, you know, American movies? Do they watch, you know, Toy Story and all that? Like as far as bringing American culture into your home, besides your family, do you, is there anything creature comforty that, mm. you know, grounds you or that you're trying to introduce the kids like a little piece of your childhood? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
they they don't do a lot of movies just because they're at that age where they're still easily terrified by Disney movies. But we do a lot of Paw Patrol. That's like the consistency that is universal to any language and mm-hmm. any culture. Every child loves Paw Patrol. Um, but it, there's a lot of things where it's things from our childhood. Um, I find cooking is a good way to do it. Mm-hmm. And I'll make something and I'm like, this, you know, like my mother-in-law's meatloaf is just fantastic. And I can tell when my husband's having a rough week, it's like, let's make his mom's meatloaf. You know, this is a thing. And and we always tell the boys, oh yeah, this is Babby's meatloaf recipe. And sometimes I'll try to copy um, a recipe. Well, his family, my husband's family, had a bakery basically for four generations and that's something we associate with the family is the bakery his dad um actually he passed away a year ago yesterday so that's been kind of heavy on all of us today but um he was the first certified master baker in the united states wow and so baking is big in that side of the family and they they sold the bakery but they still have worked for it for a while and he grew up going there all the time as a kid and we all you know would gain 10 pounds every time we visited and um just from all the free food and things but sometimes I'll try to copy their recipes and just be like oh yeah these are sticky buns like pop pop used to make or this is Babby's cupcake recipe or something um usually it's not the actual recipe but I try to make it as close as I can and I just tell them because they're four but <laughs> Because they they protect those recipes. But um, yeah, having things like that where it's like, I don't know why food just really, I feel like it's such a cultural thing Mm -hmm. that just connects us. And for us, we don't we don't cook Thai food because why bother if there are Mm -hmm. Thai people all around us who can cook it well, I'm not going to bother learning that. When I was in Korea, I didn't learn to cook Korean food. But then when I moved to Georgia, we got really into Korean cooking because we missed it. And that became a staple for our family was we just love Korean food. And then Mm -hmm. here we have Korean once a week just because it's what we like to cook. Um, But even doing the Southern because I grew up in the South. So like Southern I don't know, fried chicken and things like that, making those Southern family foods and making the baking or bakery products from his side of the family. Um, And then just, I don't know, I want to get into more of America with them when they're older. Mm -hmm. There's just so much right now that's not appropriate. I don't want to teach them how the American government works. I don't want to teach them how a lot of American culture works because right now I don't agree with a lot of it on, on not any particular side, just in general, like it's, there's so much that's different there that we don't want for them. And we pick out the things that we do want for them. But a lot of that for us is more of a religious thing of like things that are in the Bible, do good to others, you Mm -hmm. know, don't lie, don't kill, don't hit things like that. But a lot of the other stuff, I don't know. I'm not ready for that. I'm not ready to teach them. We, we, they know that America has a president but they also know that Thailand has a king mm-hmm. and they know that they probably know more about the rules for honoring the king than they do about the American government. Cause it's practical. They need to know yes, like, of course. if the money falls on the ground, you're not supposed to step on it. Cause you're stepping on the king. That that's something they need to know. Um, they don't need to know about the Supreme court you know, yeah. or anything. like no, that. No, it's yet. not, it's not even necessary. Know. And that's a lot over their head anyway. Yeah, exactly. So you They're could always young. go back to the old schoolhouse rock. Um, yes, is on oh. YouTube, which is, you know, oh, yeah. a great introduction to the Constitution and stuff. The bill on Capitol so, Hill. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's a good dip your toes into yeah. American uh, politics. It's it's great. It's I remember that as it was actually a little bit before my time even. But mm-hmm. I remember that there was friends and family that are like, oh, my God, did you see this? And of course, I didn't. So we watched it's fun. school in the 90s, I think. No, somebody stuff. gave me a DVD of it not too long ago. 
and it yeah. was it was just awesome and i was like you know yeah what? it's still you know democracy it's timeless. democracy yeah like, like yeah. that's the end of that so that that may be a good way to introduce them but yes it's definitely going to be a little shocking going from a king mm-hmm. to a president at some time and maybe that time may never come you have no yeah. idea you know we have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow and i i really i admire your bravery and i'm i'm fascinated by how how these kids are going to be raised in it's just going to be a totally different mindset because if mm-hmm. visiting like when people visit a country they also they say you know that was a life-changing experience but mm-hmm. when you live in a country and you're part of that community and you you know you know the grocery store and you know mm-hmm. the guy that sells bananas it really changes your mindset that is something that could never be taught in a book, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that travel is really important, not only for every American, but every, every person, you know, on both sides of whatever ocean they're closest to. I think it's important that people get to experience other cultures, not just through what they see on television or what stereotypes are telling them what it is. But I think to kind of, you know, immerse yourself in a culture is, is really great. And I know that there's, um, there's a lot of groups throughout the United States that have like culture immersion dinners. And they're like, today, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to take a trip around the world. And today we're going to go to Mexico. Cool. I'm into it. You know, if it, and, and oftentimes it is that, that line of food that does connect us all right. Going yeah. back to <laughs> like, I never talk about being Italian, but even our, our, the initial part of our conversation was about curry. Mm-hmm. If you really think about it. So to me, when I think of Thailand, the first thing I think of is food because that's what I'm most familiar with. Right. So I'm also familiar with the art and the carving. Like there's a lot of pieces of Thailand that I'm fascinated with. And so when I saw that this was happening today, I was really excited. That's why I think I dyed my hair, Rachel. I was like, mm, let me get all <laughs> let me get all pretty for you. But I do know that it's late there. So we're going to set you free into your wilderness. And I do not want to say goodbye under any circumstance. There's so many more things that I you know, that I really do want to talk about. And I'm hoping that we can ask you back at some point and you say yes, and I didn't traumatize you from this experience. You can have me on Marco Polo if you want. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Sometimes though, I feel pressured by Marco Polo. I'm like, oh my God, I didn't get back to Lindsay. Oh, I know. And you have to- you have to tell people that they don't have to respond to everything you say, because then I feel like I can't send a long message without burdening someone. I don't want my messages to be a burden. I want them to just be like, oh, it was yes. a nice chat. You know, oh. you don't have to respond to everything. Yes, yes. Yeah. that's that's the way it goes. Well, I will see you on Marco Polo. And thank you so much for uh, for chatting with us today. I really appreciate yeah. you giving us Thanks your time. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. And guys, listen. I love me some Rachel. I'm telling you, I'm ready. I'm totally having Masi Mam Kari. That's my number one, guys, uh, for lunch today. I really do want that. That's not even a joke. Now I'm trying to organize my whole day via food, but hey, it's not the first time that I've done that. So uh, as I'm organizing my menus for the day, for those of you that are listening, do not forget, if you have any questions for Rachel and I, you could send them over to community at twiniversity.com. And please do not forget to subscribe to this podcast because you're going to miss really weird conversations, fun conversations, bizarre conversations. I never know where they're going to go. To be honest, even Rachel, our guest sitting right in front of me via Skype or Zoom is what we're using today no one ever knows but i i love that no matter where you go there's the sense of community and connection that we all share as parents of twins and you know and rachel's bravery to just get up and go and not only get up and go but to start a a twins club where she got up and went 
is unbelievable. So yep, reach out to us if you have any questions. And if you want more information on the Twin Club, we will gladly connect you if you are in Thailand listening to this. So until next time, guys, see you later, alligators. <laughs>